It's good to be back. It's gone for a few weeks. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this lately in Sarasota or not, but I thought I, my, my new diet was working, that I was losing weight. But my wife pointed out to me, it's probably just blood I lost from all the mosquitoes right now that have been sucking. Anybody else experiencing that right now? Because I know, I mean, it's not just out. Hey, sweetie, how you doing? I just got me a cell phone. All right. Which reminds me, is that yours? Not anymore. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, which reminds me, by the way, <clears throat> um, I'm going to be doing a lot of scripture today. I'm going to read this kind of introduction to this new series I'm doing on the book of Philemon. It's going to be about three or four weeks. I want to invite you, if you have a smartphone with a Bible app, feel free to use that. Nobody's going to shun you for pulling it out. When I ever, whenever I pull out my cell phone in church, my wife always elbows me. Then I show her it's the Bible, and she still thinks I'm figuring out a way to play a video game on it, but I'm not. But so if you have a cell phone with a Bible app, be more than, uh, more than free to use that. Uh, we're going to be figuring out new ways in the coming months to become more interactive as a church family. So that's one of the ways we're going to do that. So if you have that, uh, that's just fine. I won't judge you. Um, but um, we're going to do this series on Philemon for a few weeks. And then I'm going to do a series after that called My Mother and the Return of Jesus. And uh, we're going to talk a little about how those things are very similar. Okay, and so that'd be something for you to look forward to in the next few weeks. Okay, all right, so she can hang out, man, as long as she doesn't make fun of me. I don't care. All right, all right, so I want to talk about this book of Philemon. We're going to go through uh, this, this, uh, this study for the next few weeks, and the whole concept that we're going to look at is conflict resolution. And let me explain to you the premise of why I think the book of Philemon is a really good one. Now, we, we've talked about the book of Philemon before. As a matter of fact, I think I referenced it in my series about stories of redemption when I talked about Onesimus, the runaway slave. But what we're going to do now is we're going to look at a different perspective. You know, a lot of people look at the New Testament church, a lot of Christians today, and say, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could just have our church today look like the New Testament church? I mean, God was really changing people. The Holy Spirit was really, really moving, and there was a lot of stuff going on. They really were serious about their faith. But what people don't seem to realize is that the New Testament church was very messy. There was a ton of conflict. And we're going to look into some of the reasons for that. But first, I want to give you a little bit of seminary-level style background on what the book of Philemon is, okay? The letter was probably written about 62 A.D. Paul wrote it about the same time as he wrote the letter to the church uh, in Colossae, the book of Colossians. Uh, as a matter of fact, Colossians and Ephesians, all three of those letters were bundled together along with another letter that some people think Paul wrote, he references in Colossians, to the church in Laodicea. And all these important letters were kind of bundled together and sent out by the same guys. They were sent out by Tychicus and Onesimus. Both of them were in charge of taking these very important letters to the churches. And the book of Philemon, which is really just one chapter, was kind of stapled to the other ones. And the purpose of the book of Philemon... It was written to a wealthy Christian man. As a matter of fact, the scripture teaches us that he hosted a house in his church, uh, hosted a church in his house. And so this book was written for this primary reason. It was written to deal with a conflict, and apparently it was a very public conflict between Philemon and Onesimus. By this time, Onesimus had become one of Paul's right-hand men. Onesimus was very important. 
But before that, Onesimus was a thief. And he was an indentured servant to Philemon. And apparently somewhere along the way, Onesimus really did something to hurt Philemon, to hurt his feelings. He probably stole from him. He ran away. He owed Philemon a ton of money. Philemon had trusted him. And when Onesimus ran away, by God's sovereign grace, he stumbled into Paul in prison. So Onesimus had probably been arrested for something, I'm assuming. Paul was in prison, and the Scripture teaches us that Paul led him to Christ. And through that, Onesimus had this big transformation. And everybody seemed to know this guy Onesimus that had a big fight with Philemon, who apparently was a pretty big wig in the New Testament church day, right? Like he was kind of like important. Everybody knew there was a fight, and they knew that Paul was hanging out with one of the guys in this fight. Evidently, Philemon was a very close friend to Paul, and what the Scripture teaches us is that Paul actually also led Philemon to know Christ. And this guy Tychicus apparently was part of the apostolic team. He was along with Onesimus when they delivered these letters, so he was a very important guy. And so the purpose is to reconcile these two high-profile men in the church. Now notice what Paul does. We're going to read the scripture in just a minute. But before I do, I want you to understand what we're discussing is a dysfunctional family. Now that has a very bad connotation, doesn't it? And I can tell you right now, I'm familiar with dysfunctional families. Mostly because of, you know, no fault of anyone else except my own. We all understand what it means to have dysfunction. And anybody who says there's no dysfunction in your family, you're either all dead or you're lying. And that goes for the church family as well. See, the church family is supposed to have such a wide array of different types of people and ages of people and people who do different things for a living and have different mindsets, different political backgrounds. All these things make up this church family, and the idea that you can have a church family that's close and have no conflict is ludicrous. As a matter of fact, later on we'll discuss this, I could make a case that if you don't have some sort of conflict in your church, it's probably not a very good church. Because it's not very much like the New Testament church. So notice Paul addresses this letter. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. He addresses three people in the very beginning. So clearly we see that, and the details are going to be laid out are pretty personal, right? It's very clear that this conflict was very public. He addresses Philemon, he addresses his wife, and he addresses Archippus, who apparently was some sort of leader in the church. Maybe he was the pastor. Maybe he was an elder. But this church actually met in Philemon's house. And Paul is attaching a lot of accountability to this letter. It's not a private letter. It's a very public issue. So he addresses all these people. And this is what's so interesting about the book of Philemon. A lot of people don't realize this, but to really understand the concept in this small one-chapter book, you really have to read the book of Colossians. Because this was the church. 
And what's really interesting is these letters were attached. They were delivered at the same time. And Paul makes reference to all these people we just read about in Philemon, the first verse. He, he makes reference to all of them in Colossians. And he gives us more insight and dynamic into this. Let me read this passage to you. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. A very warm greeting. That the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. He's talking about Philemon, specifically in front of these other people. Therefore... Though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner in Jesus Christ. See, I want you to understand something. Paul had tremendous leverage as the leader of these New Testament churches because he had such deep relationships. And you know, when Paul wrote that stuff about Philemon, it wasn't garbage. It wasn't bullpucky. It was true. Paul felt it deep. Paul knew who Philemon was. Paul knew how God had used Philemon. Paul was very personally involved in the life of Philemon. And Paul had tremendous leverage all across the New Testament church because relationships were the very core value and the foundation for his ministry. It's seen in all his epistles. You used to see how he talks about the Philippians in in chapter 1 of the book of Philippians and then in Colossians and in Galatians and in Romans and even in Corinthians when he just blasted them for several chapters. He was very nice in the beginning of that one too. See, those relationships were why the churches were so effective, right? Because people were so close, and Paul had this ability to make things so intimate. And Paul knew, and he was an, he was an incredible networker. I know that before, right before I came, I think Bruce preached a sermon series on uh, the, the missionary journeys of Paul. Isn't that correct? And so you got an idea if you were here during that. Paul was this incredible networker. He knew everybody. Everybody knew him. But it wasn't just that he knew them. He loved them. And they loved him. He had this amazing relationship with people. And those relationships, they were so close. And he brought so many other people close. Do you think Onesimus and Tychicus were close? The ones who did all these journeys delivering these letters? I bet you they were. I bet you Paul taught them how to love one another. But see, even though those relationships are the reason the church was effective, it's also the reason why the church was so messy. You know, even Peter and Paul had a big knockdown, drag out public fight. Did you know that? I mean, they had a nasty one. But they were both pretty effective. I'm going to read to you another passage. I'm not putting it up on the screen because it's a little bit longer, but this is part of the introduction to this series. If you have an app in your phone, you can read it. If not, I'll just read it. You can just listen to me because, you know, I'm a great reader. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer. This is in Colossians chapter 4. It's the last four. The last, you know, the chapter 4, it's the last chapter. And what he's basically doing, he's saying goodbye in this letter, right? He's giving them the encouragement. And listen, specifically as I read this, listen to the detail of the network, okay? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Even there, Paul's saying, pray for me while I'm in jail so I can lead more people like Onesimus to Christ. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now you walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you. He's the one helped deliver the letters with Onesimus, if you remember correctly. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. He was sending him back to his hometown. They will tell you everything that has taken place. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Another guy in jail. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, the one who took care of me for three years? The guy, his name means son of encouragement, Barnabas. His brother Mark greets you. You've received instructions from Mark. So if he comes to you, make sure you welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, greets you. They are the only ones, only men left of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom. In other words, they were the only Jewish people left working with Paul. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that they're the only ones working with him. They were only Jewish believers left with him. Some may that, may, that might have been because of the rip between Paul and Peter. We don't know. But you could see how the, the network is there. <clears throat> and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, from, his, from, from Colossae, right, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Now Luke, the beloved physician, also greets you just as Demas does. Greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Wow. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now listen. You could read that and be really bored with it if you want. But to me, it's stunning how good Paul was with people. This guy is one of you. And I know this guy's from your hometown. They say hi. Oh, by the way, there's a prisoner sitting right next to me. He apparently is a believer now. He says hi. Mark, Barnabas' brother. Remember Barnabas? Well, Mark's brother says hi. Make sure you say hi to Demas. He's doing a great job there. And Nymphus, th- tell her thank you for having the ch- another church that meets in her house. Do you guys see how this works? 
Paul was this networker that he brought people close. And he says, greet this person, greet that person, tell this person to do a good job, this person always prays for you, make sure this person knows that I love them, and when he comes, make sure you receive this person in a certain way. I mean, that's amazing. So why were they family? Why were they so close? The first one is because they co-labored for the kingdom. We see that in verse 1 of Philippians. He says, they're my fellow servants, my fellow laborers. When you work together with somebody on a project that's really important, you become close. They also shared their personal resources. Philemon was hosting a church in his house, and let me tell you something, that was not a small deal. He opened himself up for a lot of criticism, and he opened himself up at the time for a lot of persecution. All those things, he didn't care. Nympha did the same thing with the house, church in her house. So they not only co-labored together, they shared personal resources at an intimate level. They admired each other. You see the things Paul says about him in verse 4 through 7 of Philemon? He says, man, I just want you to know, I'm so encouraged every time I hear about how bold you are in sharing your faith, how God is using you to transform and save other people. I want you to know, Philemon, you're the bomb. You're awesome. I am so refreshed by you, brother. He actually uses those phrases while he's in prison, in chains, Paul writes, I am refreshed by you, brother. So Paul admires Philemon. Paul doesn't think every time Philemon, oh, there's that Philemon again, oh my gosh. He loves the guy. So another reason why they were like family is because they admired each other. And surely they admired Paul for all he was going through. They endured hardship together. When Paul went to prison, that was not easy on the New Testament church. And then when Onesimus hurt Philemon, that was a big wound for Philemon, clearly. It was a very public, dirty conflict. And there's so many things. The thing with Peter, that was a big conflict. You know, and then you have the, the idea of the Roman government persecuting the church. And you have Jewish leaders persecuting. These people have endured a ton of hardship together. Read the book of Acts. You'll see. In the midst of the hardship, though, they became close and they were very effective for the kingdom. Another reason, they helped each other in times of need. In verse 9, Paul says, you know, I'm in prison and it's very clear if you look at some of the other epistles that the churches, the Philippians, Colossae, uh, Rome, uh, the church at Corinth, all these churches did a lot for Paul when he was in prison, sending him things he needed, making sure he had help, all these things. When he was traveling around before he was in prison, these churches wanted to make sure he had what he needed. As a matter of fact, Paul said, listen, at, at one point in one of his letters, he says, guys, you're sending me so much. I want you to know, I don't have need for all of this, but I'm still going to take it so that you can be blessed in your giving. He says, you guys have given me so... So Paul had all these people who loved and supported him. And they were all a family. They knew what was going on in each other's churches because of Paul. So they all became very close. So what's the application for today? How do we resolve this? You know, being a family is a risk we have to take. Being a family is awesome. When we come together as a church family, we're more effective. We develop deep relationships. 
We can pool and share our resources. We can increase our sphere of influence. But just like a regular family, the reality is we offend each other. And some of you get on my nerves. I know that's not reciprocated. The closer we become, the more likely it is that we will have conflict. You see how that works? Because we become more vulnerable, guys. We become more reliant upon one another. We become more involved in each other's individual lives. Sometimes at levels we're not comfortable with. And we also have more opportunities when that happens, when we become more involved in the details of each other's lives, we have more opportunities to talk behind each other's backs. Right? I mean, when you don't know someone, you could say something about it, but it's usually kind of surfacey. But when you know the details, now there's a lot of opportunities to gossip and slander. And that causes pain. Now, the first question I want to ask you is this. Do you just show up here, attend, and then leave? You know, we have this love affair with the New Testament church. Oh, we got to be more like the New Testament church. It was messy. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not okay for us to have a clean church. It's not okay because it's indicative of the fact that we aren't close. It's not okay. But we have to take the risk. We can't be afraid of coming close because of the possible conflict, because of the possible vulnerability. Philemon made himself very vulnerable. I know that getting close can cause conflict, but we must be willing to take that risk. When we think about how the New Church Testament church reached so many people and how the Holy Spirit worked so well among them and, and that God did so many great things, they were full of conflict. We mentioned Peter and Paul's fight earlier. And almost all of it was very public. But it was a result of people that had grown close and worked closely together. That's the kind of church we should want. That's the kind of church I want. Because a church that is clean, without mess, that is a surface church. Where people don't know each other very well, they smile. When that happens, we have no benefits of the family. Oh yeah, we might avoid some of the conflict. We got none of the benefits. We're not able to reach people as well. We have a limited sphere of influence. We don't get involved in other people's lives. And God can't really use us as much as he could if we were close. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? This was a very nasty fight that we're going to unfold for you in the next few weeks. But the whole reason that the fight took place is because people were close. People were vulnerable. And people were willing to pay the price. As a matter of fact, Paul later on in the letter of Philemon pays the price himself financially for this conflict between Onesimus and Philemon. But guys, it's a risk we have to take across the aisle right now, in every seat, in every corner, in the back, in the front. 
We have to become a family if we're going to reach the people that we say we want to reach. The disaffected, the disenfranchised, those who would never darken the door of a church. If we're going to reach them, we have to come close together. Because let me tell you something, it's a hard job that not one or not two or not five people can do. We need hundreds of people to do it. And we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to come together. We have to be willing to risk conflict. Because without it, we'll be comfortable and we'll be dead. We have to risk it all in every seat. Every person has to be willing. Otherwise, we'll never be like the church we want to be. The New Testament church. Don't be afraid of the conflict. In some ways, it's a sign. The last thing that I'll share with you, after 27 years in ministry, I don't have much experience with conflict. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. I have uh, experienced a lot of pain. I've inflicted a lot of pain. And sometimes I ask myself, is it really worth it? A couple weeks ago, when I was, the first week I was gone, I was in Cleveland, and I was doing a wedding for a young girl that was in our ministry that God had saved. And as I was thinking through, I was actually thinking through this next series and how it was going to work, conflict resolution, and the, where God had saved her was in a church where there was a lot of conflict And it didn't end well for me. I'm just kind of being vulnerable here with you, right? I'm trying to set the tone for you to understand what it means. I made some mistakes. Other people made some mistakes. And my wife and I, we were hurt. And there were some times where it was so painful, I wish I'd never been there. But when I was doing that wedding and I was seeing her face, remembering how God had changed and transformed her life, it made it worth it. And I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade the experience for anything because part of the benefit was she came to Christ. And I started thinking through all the names of other people that God used our conflict to save and transform. And it occurred to me, it's part of the recipe. And God knows that, right? God never works because of us. He always works in spite of us. And he knows we struggle. So as a church, if we're going to be a family, we have to be willing to work together and to get to know each other in a certain level that we risk the conflict. Because without it, we're nothing like the New Testament church. So Heavenly Dad, we admit to you that we often run from the challenge of conflict. We don't want it to happen, and even when it does, we don't want to get involved in it. We don't want to deal with it. But God, I pray that our hearts in this church would begin to be willing to embrace the risk of conflict for the sake of working together closer, to becoming more like a family. Because in the middle of that, we have opportunities to resolve these conflicts biblically when they come up. But if we don't have them, God, it's a sign that we're really not working together very much. And we don't want to be a church like that. So make us uncomfortable with being a clean church. 
and give us desire to get a little dirty so that we can be used by you in ways that amaze, even in the midst of conflict. Amen.